Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan, a team dedicated to building uniquely close relationships with all clients, including individuals, businesses, nonprofits, and generations of family members seeking legal advice. Online at bestlaw.com. Best and Flanagan, lawyers you know. But I think a lot of women are saying, finally, it's time that a brand steps up and tackles this space. So we're getting, I would say, more of that than maybe the resistance. But it is a journey. It's definitely a movement. And um, there's such a taboo here that needs to be changed. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine, coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, cultivating the next generation of problem solvers and innovators. The school offers undergraduate and graduate programs in entrepreneurship and corporate innovation, as well as community resources to support new ventures, family businesses, and corporate entrepreneurs. And now, by all means. You might not know Sally Mueller's name, but you definitely know her work. In more than 20 years of merchandising and marketing for Target, Sally led many of the retailer's highest profile designer collaborations. Think Zach Posen, Liberty of London, Missoni. More than 60 in all. She played an instrumental role in bringing designer partnerships to the masses, creating a blueprint that was adopted by many national retailers along the way. When she left Target, Sally continued building brands, first for Cherokee, and then for Who, What, Where, a digital media company that used all of its reader insights to launch a fashion brand. That was Sally. She was an innovator from the inside of big companies and really never itched to start a brand of her own until she found a huge opportunity. Women like herself, over 50, in menopause, who couldn't find appealing beauty and wellness products that were addressing their changing needs. That's the void her new brand, Woman-S, aims to fill. We'll hear how it's going and what it's like to become an entrepreneur over 50. Along the way, Sally gives us a master class in brand building, and it starts with her love of all things retail. I think retail is just an incredible industry because you get, you know, to do so many different things. There's so much psychology behind, you know, watching the consumer shop. And I loved working at Target because I could see the consumer patterns changing. Mm-hmm. You could, you know, you walk in, you know, the, the morning after a sale and you could see your results. Yeah. So it was that immediate almost gratification that I really, really loved from being in retail. You arrived at Target in the late 80s? 87. Okay. 1987. I'm dating myself. Okay. I'm sorry. January 5th, 1987, (laughs) I think was my first day. To be specific. So what, paint a picture for us. What was Target like then? Oh, well, we had, I think, 175 stores. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong, but I think it was it was definitely under 200 okay. stores. And it was really an exciting time to be at Target because we were opening stores, like opening completely new markets. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when we even did an acquisition. So we acquired a retailer in the South and took over, I think it was the Southeast, and took over a whole chain of stores. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, just being part of the, the growth 
you yeah. know, it, it was just super exciting. What were some of your early roles? Did they move you around a lot? Yes, they did. Um, so I was in entry-level merchandise planning position in uh-huh. women's or girls, girls 7 to 14, which was the trendy part of girls. I loved it. I used to say, um, just following the trend curve of some of those, you know, the fashion that a tween mm-hmm. girl, yeah, you know, adopts. I mean, it was just, it was so interesting. A lot like of glitter. One, a lot of glitter. <laughs> I remember denim skirts. Mm. It was just like, we could not sell enough or buy enough denim skirts. She just loved denim skirts. But then one, like one day, she just hated them. It was literally, <laughs> it, everything would come to a complete stop. Right. The and trends, if they died, they died fast. Yeah. So I learned a lot about just following the trend curve and just understanding if something was going to be short-lived or if something was going to, you know, mm-hmm. live on and kind of be an evergreen trend. When, when people talk about your target career, they tend to talk a lot about some of the brand partnerships mm-hmm. that you worked on. So what, were, what are your proudest achievements from, your, from the Target era? You know, I, I loved working on the designer program. Mm-hmm. It was really, really exciting. Um, just meeting so many interesting, creative geniuses across the world, because we did. We literally went to all the fashion capitals of the world. So it was just really, really fun to... And did it take a while? I mean, at first, was it like, wait, you want me to design for Target? Or, I mean, obviously that, that changed as, it be, as I yeah. think as designers saw the opportunity. Right, right. And you... it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. But I think we thought that would be the reaction. But the reaction was, oh, my gosh, if I can bring my brand to the, to the everyday person, to the masses, mm-hmm. I'm all in. And mm-hmm. so the reaction was really, really positive. And by that point, we had targeted really started to, you know, figure out its own path. It was so different than any other retailer. It was becoming recognized, I think, as really a innovative brand, even mm-hmm. globally. Um, the bullseye itself had become this icon and, and meant, you know, a lot to consumers around affordable design. So sure. I think, you know... I always say you don't take a brand from zero to 100 overnight. There's a lot of different stepping stones along the way that give you permission to take those risks. Sure. Could you predict, I mean, were there, were there surprises? I mean, there were some collections, you know, that, I, that sold out literally the second they became available. Yeah. Others, not quite as much. And I know, I mean, I wrote many, many you retail did, yeah. and business and fashion stories about that and that, the, that there was kind of the idea was, the creating excitement more than what they did in terms of sales. But, but what was it like on the inside? Were, were you ever surprised? Sometimes, I think, just how fast things would sell out. Yeah. And um, I remember when we brought in Liberty of London. Uh-huh. And it was just, you know, these beautiful prints on sundresses and lampshades and kids' clothes and you know, people, women loved it because it was just so happy. It was just so, you know, yeah. upbeat. So spring, you know, we launched it during spring and Easter. And I think what I learned from that is just, you know, the right idea at the right time, too. 
So was there a point at which you knew it's time for me to do something else? Were you ready for the next chapter or what prompted your, your yeah. move? So I left Target in 2010. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, I was leading um, all of the external designers and um, kind of external partners. So athletes, uh, I was back working on licensing, which was liaising with the studios like Disney and Warner Brothers and such. Yeah. Um, I had done that previously. And then, you know, that responsibility, like everything shifts around. um, So you were like hanging out with Sean White? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) He's great. Yeah. Um, So I... Really loved that part of my job, but I felt I was turning 45 and I thought, gee, you know, maybe it's time for me to really explore more of an entrepreneurial side of my personality. Hmm. I always felt like it was an entrepreneur inside Target. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, now's the time to take the leap and do something, you know, in my mid 40s because I didn't. I didn't want to wait until I was 50. Mm-hmm. Now 50 seems so young to me. <laughs> but back then, I thought, you know, now take all this knowledge, all these connections, and turn this into my own consulting business. Okay. So that's what I did. I left Target and started my own business three days later, had no clients, started from scratch. Uh, I don't think I could do that again. It's, it was, you know, looking back, it was really... It, it's, you know, scary, yeah. right? Because you go from having all these great people and teams and the target energy. And then I went to s- sitting in my home office. Yeah. Like, where's the pulse? Where's the energy? <laughs> I, I need to collaborate. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, I never thought I made a mistake, but it was tough. Okay. It was tough. So what wasn't, I thought it was Cherokee that kind of well, became the thing. Well, then. Is that later? What was so interesting is, so I basically put out my, you know, my card, hung out my shingle. Thank you. (laughs) Ready for business. That's what I was trying to say. (laughs) And so a lot of, you know, people started calling and just, would you be interested in this project and that project? And one of them was actually Cherokee and a new CEO had started at Mm -hmm. the company and he was looking for me to help reinvent the brand. And I didn't, you know, I didn't want to just help him with Target because he had a big business at Target. They so already said, were at Target. I so said, you, no, I'm, okay. not, I'm not doing that, but I will help you reinvent your brand globally. And I learned a lot about international retail. I would sit in meetings with buyers at Tesco and I, think, I would think, okay, you're not as good as the buyers at Target, but you do <laughs> have the same kind of terminology. You know, they approach their business in a similar way, which... Yeah. I always thought was so interesting, you know. Uh, did you so you you found this project and it sounds like it was exciting and and fulfilling, but did it feel like this is very similar to what I was doing at Target? Like when you say when you had that entrepreneurial bug, was there part of you that was like I'm going to do this until I figure out what I want to make? Did you want, you know, kind of a brand of your own? Was that it? No, at that point I just thought I no, I really enjoyed it. I really and the travel was fun, yeah. you know, just being able to travel to Spain and the UK. And How old were your kids at that time? They were, that, that is probably the downside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Allie, right, don't bring them. that up. No, um, yeah, <laughs> they were in 
I think they were in junior high and maybe early high school. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's all a blur. A yeah, little bit, I bet. But... Well, and it's interesting to think about now as we've I done. I mean, think about like how much you probably could have done over Zoom if we had I been know. Zooming. You're then. right. I, but I wouldn't have been able to go to London. That's true. That's true. I love London. <laughs> There's that. So so Cherokee, you know, was one of my clients. Mm-hmm. I had a few other clients. Um, Cherokee kept taking more and more of my time. Got it. And then the CEO said, he had asked me a few times, will you join Cherokee? I said, no, I just started my own business. I need to give this a chance. And then about nine months later, he kept bringing it up. And I said, okay, I'll join, <laughs> but I, on my terms. And what, was, what were your terms? Well, just I wanted to be able to, um, you know, build the right team, bring in someone that I had worked with before that I wanted to work with again you know, stay living in Minneapolis, being mm-hmm. able to, you know, commute and travel. So all of that was totally acceptable. Hmm. And um, I learned a lot during the next two years. I learned a lot about buying brands because we were on a mission to buy new brands. I like brand management and working with, you know, on the other side of retail. So bringing brands to retail. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really feel that the license model was the best way to build a brand. Hmm. And Cherokee was all licensed, and it was hard to undo it. The company had reached a, you know, a, a certain level, and that was their model. Mm-hmm. And they were publicly held, so it was difficult for them to really pivot. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to start my own business again. <laughs> you'll, you'll hear a pattern. Yes. Um, and I wanted it to be, you know, really close to, I wanted to be close to product. I wanted to be, you know, yes, I'm, I have a marketing background, but I'm also, you know, why my title of chief brand officer at Cherokee was really the right title because you touch product and marketing. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to really make sure that the product had the integrity because marketing, you can only go so far in marketing if you don't have a great product. How, what part of developing a brand do you like the most? Well, I've been told that I'm probably really good at that initial, like, what's the white space, you know, putting that strategy together. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do like that part, but I think a lot of the innovation happens after you launch. Mm -hmm. That's when it really takes true grit, because just because what you thought, you know, in your PowerPoint deck was going to work doesn't always end up working exactly the way you think it is going to, you know. So that's when I think the true innovation really happens is once you've launched, how do you navigate all of the different, you know, learnings, right? Because some things work well, some things don't work, and you have to evolve, and you have to be okay walking away from certain things. As you went along, and especially when once you were working with, um, well, with Click Brands and and with Who, What, Where, and and more kind of digitally focused or digitally mm-hmm. savvy brands, how did that change your thinking, or what did you learn about you know building brands for either direct to consumer or just kind of omni channel, which I think everybody needs to be thinking about today. Yeah, well, I learned a lot about co creation. That was kind of our buzzword for tapping our community for feedback. Mm -hmm. And we spent a lot of time doing that and all the different ways, you know, focus groups, Mm -hmm. surveys, um, so many different ways. And 
you know, really trying to formulate that process. And who do you tap when you're developing a brand might be different um, than when you're at the end and you want to understand the commercial potential of a brand. Because mm-hmm. there's trendsetters that kind of help you create the brand. Mm-hmm. But if you go mainstream from the beginning, you're not going to get that new, fresh, you know, mm. pre-peak opportunity. Okay. So I learned a lot about like co-creation and when to tap certain audience, you know, certain community members. Yeah. It's you- it's really it's so much um, data. Yeah. Behind all of these decisions. Do you ever just want to say to the community, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this a long time. Enough of your feedback. No, I love getting their feedback. <laughs> okay. If okay. I could spend half of my day right now just talking to my customers, I would love it. Yeah. I never get customers enough of it. Customers always right. If I I just need more, act, you know, the time is against us, right? Because yeah. you just don't have time in the day, but it's so important. Mm-hmm. So um, best advice before we talk about your latest project for anybody who you know, wants to do some version of what you do or somebody who is thinking about launching a brand? What is what is that that magic sauce that you have replicated again and again to have so many successes? Well, understand who the consumer is that you want to go after, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think if you know that consumer intimately, you can I think be a lot, you know, that's the key to success because mm-hmm. if you if you don't know that consumer, you're probably going to get more things wrong than right. Mm-hmm. And you can't always personalize it. You can't think, you know, just because I'm, you know, in my 50s that I'm going to understand what women in their 50s want from a fashion brand. Mm-hmm. So you have to really stay also objective. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's definitely art and science. Yeah, for sure. So I feel like it's already kind of one of those like startup stories that you hear repeated your visit to uh, the Mayo Clinic and your aha moment (laughs) set the set the scene for us. What where what were you working on when you went to have your checkup at the Mayo? Well, I think it was a couple years ago Mm -hmm. and I was at Click Brands and working on. I believe I I had just finished, kind of wrapped up uh, Versed and handed it over to Melanie, who's now running the brand, which okay. is great. She she worked for me on my team, and I think she's awesome. So I had uh, I was so excited for her to have the opportunity to lead that brand. So I was in the process of handing that over to her, um, and really focusing on who, what, where. Mm-hmm. So I was in a little bit of a transition, you know, in my responsibilities there. Um, and I was going to the Mayo Clinic because I'm kind of lazy when it comes to my own <laughs> health. Okay. And if it was up to me to make all these appointments, I would never make them. Mm-hmm. So I decided to bite the bullet, enroll in their executive health program. Mm-hmm. I encourage anyone that has the means or even the insurance policy yeah. to do that. It's such a great program. One so, of the perks of living in Minnesota. Yeah, right? exactly. So, drive. you know, must have filled out an intake form, found myself in this appointment with a female doctor. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew I was in menopause, but she said, oh, you must tell me more. You have this issue and that issue. And it was, you know, things like Vaginal dryness and <laughs> sexy topics. Such Everyone's sexy favorite. topics. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't want your Gen Z audience <laughs> to be scared. Well, they're not. But um, 
Anyway, she just said, oh, you know, I see women all day long with these issues. You're not alone. I And again, I thought, am I really stupid here? Because I had no idea that those symptoms were related to menopause. Uh-huh. I had just been working, traveling, you know, yeah. being a mom. Yep. And... You know, again, I knew I was menopause, but I didn't really know anything about menopause. No one was talking about no it. No one. Your friends weren't talking no. about I it. No, I had asked my mom, and she, I love my mom, but she, um, <laughs> she'll probably be listening to this, but she would always say, Oh, I never had any issues with menopause. Oh. <laughs> Are you kidding? I never had a hot flash. You know, it was just uh-huh. oh, glamour, glamour woman. <laughs> Never had any issues. Uh, wow. Or she <laughs> well, just blocked her it daughter all out? has had issues. <laughs> um, so, what did Sally do with her Mayo Clinic findings? We'll find out right after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan. Understand, identify, manage, protect, and realize the value of your intellectual property and other business assets. Expect a customized approach from Best and Flanagan with legal advice carefully tailored to protect your interest within the context of your overall business strategy, goals, and vision. Best in Flanagan, a legal team dedicated to understanding where you want to go and helping you get there. Local advocacy and advice from lawyers you know. Online at bestlaw.com. Sally went to the Mayo for a physical, but she left with her biggest business idea yet. Let's hear. So... The doctor, though, back to Mayo, she was so gracious, and she said, okay, you need to check out these products. You can buy them, you know, Amazon, the Mayo store. Mm -hmm. So I went home that night, and uh, I remember looking at my computer, checking these products out, and gasping. I thought... I'm never going to buy any of these products. And these were products that were supposed to help you with hot yeah. flashes? Well, they were more like dryness. vaginal vaginal mm-hmm. moisturizers and mm-hmm. all sorts of, you know, water-based mm-hmm. products. Sure. And the names were scary. Yeah. I don't know. I think they had silicone something in them. Mm-hmm. or Very clinical. Very clinical. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I didn't think the ingredients, although I, you know, I knew that Mayo had... If they're going to put their name on something, they're they're going to make sure that they're not going to harm anyone. Mm-hmm. So I knew that they weren't going to harm me. Um, the packaging looked very outdated. The names were difficult to pronounce. Hmm. And I thought, gee, this product category needs to be blown up. Yeah. What am I doing working on millennial brands? I should be <laughs> thinking about women my age yeah. and women like me. Uh-huh. So. Started to really think about it at that point and, um, you know, loved loved working at Click. Only wish I could do all of it. But I know even Catherine has told me it's very challenging to do a startup while you're also doing another job. Yeah. So I, I ended up actually doing both jobs for about a year and a half. Really? Yeah. So and when you say doing both jobs, so so you helping have this... to incubate yeah. helping to incubate woman ass mm-hmm. while staying at click. Okay, but so you have this realization yeah. that, that nobody is is right. taking kind of a lifestyle, cool, right. fresh approach to menopause. Do you immediately begin sketching out the idea? Did you have the name? Like, how quickly did it become serious? Yeah, I started to formulate what I thought, like, the brand foundation should be. You know, should it be, access- it should be clean formulations, accessibly priced, 
beautiful packaging, modern aesthetic. Mm -hmm. So I knew enough about what it needed to. And is that the same process that you went through with other brands you've worked on through the years? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I took the same process. Um, My co-founder, Michelle, lives in New York. And, you know, on a a trip to New York, we were getting together anyway. Mm -hmm. And And what is her background? Her background has a lot of similarities to mine. She actually helped take Real Simple from a media brand into a very successful line of product that was Mm. sold at Target and Bed Bath & Beyond. That was 10 years of her career. Mm -hmm. Um, She also worked at HSN, leading the Joy Mangano brand, which Mm. was sold. Joy, there was a movie about Joy. She's kind of the miracle mom. Yes, of course. Um, And Michelle's role was to really help Joy take her brand into retail. You know, she was successful on... HSN, right. but she wanted to be successful in retail. Mm-hmm. So she was omni-channel as well, and Michelle was over- responsible for overseeing that. So okay, she had a lot of other positions, but those are the two that I always like to highlight. So we both have many, many decades of building brands and executing brands for women. Mm-hmm. So I told her about my experience at Mayo and that I thought this would be a an incredible opportunity. And she said, oh, my gosh, let's do this. Let's do this together. Mm-hmm. Um, so she really brought a good perspective because she has an older sister mm-hmm. who's between the two of us. Michelle's eight years younger than I am. And her sister and Michelle's friend group, they were all really, as they approached their 40s and 50s, they were really trying to figure out their next steps. They were not happy maybe in a corporate job. They were, you know, just really feeling confident, but not satisfied Hmm. and not fulfilled. Yeah. And this is a number of women. So a lot of them wanted to just, you know, walk away from there. A lot of them were like quitting their corporate jobs, writing books. Before the pandemic. Yeah. This is this is this is like eight uh, 2020, 2019 ish. Mm -hmm. Yes. That you're talking Um, about. And so we took that insight into forming, you know, the pillar of womanist, which is mine is education because women don't even know what they're going through mm-hmm. is related to menopause. Mm-hmm. So the, the opportunity to really educate women, but inspiration. So inspiring these women to feel like, you know, this transition is not the end of something. It's only the beginning of your next phase uh-huh. and that it's never too late to pursue your dream. If you want to start your own business, if you want to quit your job and travel, you know, this woman is so, she has so much wisdom when she gets to this stage mm-hmm. and really prop these women up, make them feel like they can do anything. So that was you know, why we felt so strongly about building a community so that women could share their stories with others, other women. Yeah. Having been in brand building as long as you have, and I'm sure you worked with a lot of other smart women at Target and Cherokee and all the other places, how is it possible that it's taken this long for for a company like yours to come into existence or for more brands? I mean, it feels like there's a shift, like there's some momentum right now around talking about, you know, fundamentally female issues yes, that maybe, yes, you know, it was one thing when you said it was all men, you know, it was all, you know, men running the show and they just didn't think about it. But why has it taken so long, even as women have become more? Well, 
you know, the, the, some of the doctors at Mayo have really done a great job educating Michelle and I about what what really happens behind the scenes. You know, there's very there's been very little research done on women's health. A lot of the research was conducted on men and then applied to women. Mm. So it's I think it goes back for years. There's just a lot of baggage, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, that women's health was not necessarily invested in by institutions or drug companies. Hmm. So, um, you know, they like to say some of the doctors have like have said, you know, we are not little men. <laughs> that research has to be done specifically on women's health issues, right? Like even heart disease. Your your symptoms of heart disease are very different than a men a man's symptoms. Sure. So, sure. and you know, this is not just menopause. This is just women's health at at large. So, yeah. I think there's a lot of women like me, you know, even millennial founders that are super excited about the women's health space and, you know, blowing up so many different aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Did you come up with the name Woman-S right away? Oh, no. <laughs> um, we knew the type of name we wanted. It took us a year to get that name. Really? We had hundreds of names. We even made names up that we yeah. never thought were even... And they weren't even a name. They say you need two O's, right? Yes. Goop. Well, thank you, Allie, for bringing that up. We (laughs) had one name that was Voov. Because get your Voov back. Uh Thank God we didn't get that cleared by legal. It's a horrible (laughs) name. Um, But that is an example. We were just making names up. And so many people have gone in and trademarked names, and they're just squatting on these trademarks. And was that the case with Woman S.? No. Okay. No. We formed, you know, we liked womanhood kind of as a concept. Mm-hmm. And Ness means beauty. And then womaness means the state of being a woman. So it would just kind of all came together. Mm-hmm. But it was tough. We had so, we had 250 names that we crossed out. How far along were you in the development of the line when you settled on the name? I feel like in some cases it can be almost paralyzing because when it's going to be a consumer brand, you got to have the right name. Yeah. It or was, you're dead in the water. We had a meeting mm-hmm. with a retailer and in four weeks, and I think we finally got the name. Because okay. we, we were not going to go into any meetings with any retailers without the right name. So so you think you do need to to figure that out, even I if you know you have a big, great... Yeah, I, I do. I think it's a big part of selling yeah. the concept because all the marketing language goes back to, like, we've created this whole dialogue. You saw at the mm-hmm. event that we had last week in Minneapolis, like sexiness, agelessness, womaness. So mm-hmm. we couldn't have just even the voice of the brand really flushed out. Right. How about menopositivity? When yes. did you, how did, did that come later? That came as we were creating the brand ethos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. that was, that was fun. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good one. And again, Thank can't you. believe nobody's ever used that before, <laughs> right? Um, so I'm curious, having done this your whole career building brands, this is the first one that is truly your baby, right? Right, right. Uh, you're not doing it with anyone else or for anyone else. Does that feel scary? Does it feel exciting? Is it like, finally, this is the thing I've been waiting for? No, it's exciting. It's exciting. 
And um, and but it took you a little while to leave your other job. Why did you stay? Why didn't you immediately, the minute you had this idea, jump into it? I loved my team mm-hmm. at Click. I loved the. I mean, how can you not love like women's fashion? Yeah. Um, Catherine and Hillary, very loyal to them. I just so many reasons. And Catherine and I, you know, had an agreement. She knew I was working on this and really was supportive because she loves to support women founders and entrepreneurs. So Mm -hmm. I felt very good, like ethically, that everything was figured out. Sure. And um, yeah. So you got the the marketing. You knew what you wanted it to be. Then you have to actually develop a line of products. Right. How did you go about doing that? Well, the products came actually very soon after the brand strategy because you can't, marketing actually comes a little later, but up front you, you think, or you, you outline, okay, we know we're going to be accessible. We know the pillars of the brand, education, inspiration. We even knew at that time product, you know, product had to be, um, doctor tested. We wanted clinically, you know, clinically proven ingredients, all about building trust with the consumer. Mm Because we felt like this woman is so discerning. She's bought so much product in her life. What is going to get her to switch from her favorite skincare product over to Womaness or... Mm-hmm. You know, any any of these products, and right? Is it always a case um, of switching or were you putting out products that just weren't even, I mean, sort of like your experience of like the only options were clinical? Yeah, totally. We were creating new new products, but, uh, you know, there's, you know, there's other vaginal moisturizers <laughs> in the market. We were trying to create a better one, right. um, you know, that was clean and um had hyaluronic acid in it, so for better hydration and so on and so forth. And so, also, I feel like you were creating a whole different experience instead right. of that being like kind of drudgery, like oh my gosh, I have to go buy right. this. It's cream. the whole brand, like it's yeah. a like it's a medicinal thing. Right. It's more this yours feels more like this is a lifestyle decision. This is like picking out a lipstick. Your these right. are products I want to yes to buy. Yes, it was you know we like to say it's creating a whole new category, mm-hmm. like. Menopausal skincare, who's yeah. heard of that? But we're getting credit for being on the forefront of creating that as a new category because anti aging skincare, you're in your 20s and you're buying anti aging skincare. Yeah. But menopausal skincare is, is formulated so it's even more gentler on your skin. Mm-hmm. You know, we're using like a gentler form of retinol. Okay. We're also using retinol, but we're using uh, Bacchushol, which is an, a, just a little bit more of a mild form of retinol. So, how as an you, example, how, so that's how do you retrain the consumer? That woman who, like you said, it is kind of crazy. I mean, we start buying the anti-aging stuff when we're barely out of high school, right? How do you convince her that she should buy? a menopausal product, and is there going to be resistance? Because some people don't really want to admit that that's where they're at. You know, I'm sure there is some resistance happening, but I think a lot of women are saying, finally, it's Mm -hmm. time that a brand steps up and tackles this space. So we're getting, I would say, more of that than maybe the resistance. But it is a journey. It's definitely a movement. And um, there's such a taboo here that needs to be changed. Yeah. What has been the biggest challenge of, of getting this 
product line created? Well, the supply chain has not been easy. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone hears about that on the news every night, right? Yeah. Um, we had actually really good luck with our supply chain. And then boom, we had one product, which is our Let's Neck. It's a it's our best selling product. It's a and cream. Yeah, it's the it's a neck serum. Mm-hmm. And um we had we were on the Ellen show in June, had a phenomenal response. So mm-hmm. of course we sold out. But we knew it was gonna be a good item. So we had product coming in and then in August we were told, Well, you're not going to get that one ingredient. And then, oh, you're not going to get a second mm. ingredient. Then the third ingredient. It was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. So we had to, you know, we. it's just, I really, now I really, I hope consumers are empathetic too, because it's been, we're so trying so hard yeah. to be upfront with our, with our customer. Right. You know, but it's so tough because you're told or we're told, you know, you're going to get that in September, whatever, and then you don't mm-hmm. because now there's another ingredient with alcohol in it that has issues because of COVID. Oh. You know, it's just, it's, so that has been a challenge. And what's hard about it is there's only so much you can control. Yeah. So, you know, our investors say to us, it's how you react to those situations that makes companies separate the good from the great. So how so, have you reacted? We have given away free product to all of our customers on our site. So mm. that's really been working. Like mm-hmm. they get to choose. So if they bought the product, they're still waiting for their product to come in. Mm. So in the meantime, we've given them a free product to try. Oh, smart. So, smart. Um, I have personally been shipping product to women that are the most upset. Oh, wow. But most most people are really understanding. Yeah. I think we just need to be honest with mm-hmm. everyone. That's what we're just trying to be, as transparent as possible. But we're really trying to own or provide a good customer service to this woman. So I don't mind personally going to the UPS store and mailing my <laughs> my personal stash of Let's Neck because <laughs> I just feel like every customer is worth saving. Yeah. And women are so excited when I say, I will give you for free a person, you know, my personal let's neck. Yeah. Like, it's half oh, used. Oh, <laughs> no, I, I don't. No, it's not used. Yeah. But I, they, they turn from like kind of ticked to yes. I love you. Yeah. Oh, that's so I, nice. I find always it's just it's so much fun to kind of kill them with kindness, yes, right? When someone is upset and you respond personally and you're and yeah. you're nice. I think sometimes people are just so surprised right, that you're right. a real person right. and you're responding I've in had, a real way. I know. I've had some women. I sent out emails to all of our top customers personally and I had one woman say, "I don't know, is this a bot?" I said, no, this is Sally. This is really me emailing you. Yeah. And we had this nice little email exchange. But I love that. Yeah, I love that's so, um, well, getting that, to know our customers. It's so That's startup so mode, fun. right? So I feel like we missed a few steps there. Uh, you mentioned investors. At what point did you go out um, seeking investors? And was that a new process for you? Had you ever been in a position of raising money before? I had not raised money, no. Did you know so. you needed to do that from day oh, yes. one? Yeah. Oh, yes. It takes a I had money a whole to... plan. Okay. And? So you... guess what day we decided to officially go out and start raising money? I'm going to guess like sometime in March of 2020. March 8th, <laughs> just as COVID 
shut down the world. Oh, boy. It was okay. crazy. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> did you have appointments lined up and yeah. I mean, your meetings? Yeah, we did. But a lot of investors were not – those first, I would say, month or so, it was really tough to get anyone's attention. Everyone was in major scramble mode. Mm -hmm. A lot of investors were – trying to help their port you know their and their brands that they've invested in yeah. navigate the pandemic so no one was taking new appointments so we navigated through it okay but it was it really extended our timeline we okay. were supposed to we wanted to close in august and we ended up closing literally a year ago right now so Took two extra months mm -hmm. of. Well, that's not so bad. In no, the but it when you're dealing with supply chain, because then at the same time we kept hearing the supply chain, supply chain, supply chain is going to be impacted yeah. by this. Did you so. um, did you have any thoughts of just kind of pausing this whole thing during COVID, or did you feel like it was a, a good time? No, a couple people may have said to me, "Are you? Sh yeah, I think a couple people did. I, I blocked it out." <laughs> Maybe you should just, I said, I can't. We can't. We you have can't to keep wait. going. Okay. We always wanted to make sure and launch in 2021 because we didn't want to be late. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's what happens with brands. If you're late on the trend curve, then something else has to happen, right? You have to either build a better mousetrap, right? You have yeah. to- Better to be first. Better to be, well, not always. I mean, we weren't really the first first. There's a couple, Kindra, which is a, a brand that P&G owns, mm -hmm. was first. They they were around a couple years ago. Okay. So um, you saw that that the, the, the signs that yes. this, is, this yes. is about to become, that yes. we're hitting the tipping point. We are. For discussing yeah. menopause. And, you know, the population, you could just tell there was this groundswell, whether it was, you know, J-Lo performing at the Super Bowl. J-Lo's got to be in menopause, right? God. She's in her Is 50s. She? I think J-Lo must be like immune yeah, to menopause. I know, but all I'm <laughs> but saying yes. is there's this groundswell of, you know, the gray, you know, I don't know if they want to, what, if. They call it the gray movement or just this groundswell of like cool women over uh -huh. 40, 50. Uh -huh. Look at all these amazing celebrities and what they're doing. So I could tell that there was this groundswell happening and we didn't we didn't want to be launching a menopause brand in 2023. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So what was your experience with uh raising money? We hear that, I mean, even today and even I think in this last year of really kind of finally a, a light being shined on the fact that women are such a tiny piece of the pie and uh, minority-owned businesses mm -hmm. even smaller than that. And it's still so hard. It's, it's hard to believe. But did you encounter resistance? Did you have investors saying, what, menopause? Did you go to women? How, how did it work for you? Well, it's like dating. You have to, or kissing a lot of frogs. <laughs> okay. So you have to, you know, people that have raised money successfully before said so you have to meet with a lot of different investors before you lock in, before you find the mutual interest. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you could really want an investor, but they may not want you. So sure, you have to meet with a lot of different investors. So that's what we did. And I mean, some of it was just fascinating. Um, but the stereotype, stereotype that I like to break is that men were not understanding mm -hmm. 
Um, that is not true. We had great conversations with men hmm. about menopause, um, the opportunity. I mean, they're, they're business people, too. So sure. they course. were looking at us thinking, of course, this makes a complete sense. So some of our um, top investors are men. Hmm. I'm guessing that it probably helped given your track record yeah, and the number the of brands that you've... Yeah, the track record definitely helped. I mean, Michelle, just our wisdom and experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good to hear. And that's encouraging. Yeah. Any um, Having gone through that experience successfully, um, any words of advice for others who are yeah, trying I mean, to Yeah. I mean, I don't get beaten down if you get a no, yeah. because you get a lot of no's. Mm-hmm. And even some of the investors that I thought would be interested, you know, you get the email, we're not interested. And they don't tell you always why. The, the, I think the the ones that really want to help you. Most of them do want to help you. They give you some color, give you some context. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them didn't like that we were omni-channel from the beginning. They just wanted us to be an e-commerce brand for the next, Mm. for the first two years. And why didn't you want to do that? I think because we felt it was now's the time for, this woman shops at retail, right? So now's the time to really go into retail is in a big way. Yeah. You know. Where are you seeing the most traction? Where are where are the customers finding you? Where are they coming from? All over. I mean, anytime we reach women through I mean traditional media, meaning TV shows, mm-hmm. print magazines like People magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, your publication. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that that all of that helps. She is on social media, but just not as active on social media as a millennial. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know myself, I don't have time to be, I don't check out Instagram every hour of the day. Yeah. So it's, it's, there's no playbook for marketing to this woman. And the most important thing we do is try, we've tried a lot of different things. And what seems to be working is anything where... It's an awareness builder. You know, it's a, an ambassador like Kim Douglas that went on the Ellen show. That was huge for us. So you're now at Target. Select you're... stores at Target. Okay. Target.com. Where else is the brand? We are, of course, womanist.com mm-hmm. and Amazon. Okay. And where do you want to be? What, what, what's, your, what's, on, what's your target now? Yeah, I mean, we want to be where a woman is shopping. So we know she's shopping at Ulta, for example. She is shopping still at, you know, even CVS. So, you know, those, those I, think, I think it's also not just where she's shopping, but the, if the merchants are excited about the, mer- you know, the mission of what we're bringing mm-hmm. to their customer, I think that's what we need, you know, is just um, also that strong partnership with mm-hmm. the the two companies coming together. So Target's been awesome. And, um, you know, it helps that I, I, I do know them well, but it's, um, they've been really great partners. They understand, you know, the potential of this business. Yeah. And when you think about the potential, is it pro- is it extensions to the brand? Is it like wh- where where is Woman S in five years? I think it is. I think it's a platform, so we can definitely continue to add product. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll be one of those brands that are fifty products. You know, I think we want to be super selective, very curated. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but we we definitely see a lot of potential in our skin and body products. Um, you know, there's going to be some new supplements coming out, and then of course our sexual wellness is doing really well. So we want to you know continue to add um, really good products in e- each one of those categories. But I could see a day when you know we dabble in some other categories that really are still around women's health. The the op, you know I think the barriers to entry are so much lower than they used to be, and that's what's so amazing, right? Anybody can set up a website, right. you can create a following, you know, organically, you know, if you know how to do that on social media. But it's also kind of overwhelming because everything is, you know, it's got to be multi-platform, and you've got to have content, and you've got to have great photos, and you've got to have great products. You got to be everywhere and feeding right. all these channels. How how do you do it? I mean, how what is the right way to to launch these days without kind of losing your focus? It is a challenge. Um, well, you have to really think at the at the top. Think of it as a funnel. We like to think of you know the customers are coming in at the top. They may have seen your brand on you know CBS with Amelia Santinello, right? Mm-hmm. Or read your you know your article. Mm-hmm. They come in. And they're aware now. And then how do you bring them all the way through the purchase journey? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how we're, and most brands think of the purchase journey that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you get them from awareness to, you know, convert all the way down to conversion? Mm-hmm. And then how do you retain them as a customer? Right, right. So there's, n- there's a lot of art that goes into this. It's yeah. not all science. Is this, um, I mean, is this it for you? Like, is this the brand that you, you know, want to stay with? Or will you reach a point like you have with some others where you want to, you know, you, you've done the, the fun part, the building. And yeah, it's on to the I'm next pretty thing. committed to this. One. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my investors would freak out if they heard that I'm not. Well, no, but I mean, some, you know, some entrepreneurs, it's, it's that it's surreal, the development. The, the surreal. Right. It's the, yeah, it's I the could see me ideation. doing one other thing, maybe. Uh-huh. Or I love mentoring younger people. Yeah, I do that kind of <laughs> on the side, so I could see, you know, and not, it's not even—I don't even get paid. I just do it because sure. I love it. Yeah, and I love to see, you know, all these young people be so successful. Yeah. Um. So I could see me dabbling in some different things, but I think this is so intense. You know, each day is literally. Challenge, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many different challenges, and um, the landscape is changing so fast. Not just the retail landscape, but the digital landscape. So mm-hmm. it's you have to be all in, and it's pretty exhausting. So <laughs> I, as I get close to being sixty, I'm thinking, oh no, I can't do this again. Like <laughs> this to this scale, yeah. it's really intense. I yeah. mean, you have to have an energy level that's beyond anything. Hmm. That's that's good. Good to think about. Yeah. Perhaps, before so I don't want to discourage it's, anyone yeah, listening. Yeah. But just know that if you're one to not really want to work 60, 70 hours a week, mm-hmm. may not start a consumer brand omnichannel. <laughs> okay. Um, Note to self. Maybe there's a website that you want to start. Yeah. And you can have better balance in your yeah. life. So I I don't want anyone to be discouraged. I'm curious as a person who has been tracking, studying, creating retail for so long, um, what do you think the future is of, of how we shop and and you know, women in particular, since that's your market? I'm really interested in these marketplaces that keep popping up. 
Okay. You know? Um, like temporary? No, no. Or? Like they're real, they're online digital marketplaces. Okay. So, you know, knowing, let's say, Allie, you're fashion forward, you're savvy. So here's, here are all the brands curated for you. Mm. And it's it's just much more of a shortcut. I also am really intrigued with Ron, what Ron Johnson is doing with his home delivery. Really? Yeah. You know, the former Apple yeah, yeah. Target executive. Mm -hmm. He was just in the Wall Street Journal this week about um, in electronics, like literally going to people's homes, setting up the electronics. It's like a white glove service. Mm. So, Well, I you're do, practically doing that, mailing your own I know. stash of products. There I know. you are. But I think just knowing how busy everyone is having you know as the as the consumers age too i think having a tech service that comes to your house mm -hmm. to set up your connected tv oh my gosh that sounds like a dream yeah yeah so you know, just so thinking more about service, yeah, more, more personalized more service more and i think a lot of my husband and i talk about this going back to what was working in retail in the 50s and 60s like service and Personal is, you know. Yeah. Well, isn't that always how it is? The more it things is. change. It cycles. Yeah. But I think a lot of what made some of those, the retail moments so memorable, you know, so emotional, like remember going to the top floor of Dayton's, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. some of that will come, you know, it's coming back. And, um, you know, the, the, the question is, how do you scale something like that? Right, right. And now we will all have a, a nice, great uh, spritz that we can uh, apply when we're going through a hot flash in the midst of all right, that, too. Right, right. So exactly. Taking care of everything. <laughs> Sally, thank you so much for chatting with us. Thanks, Allie. This is so fun. So smart. So many great insights to take away. And congrats. It'll be fun to, to watch you continue on this journey. Well, Sally's story gives us cause to be really excited on many levels and not just if you're experiencing hot flashes. One of the things that really fascinates me is the fact that she had this full corporate career and then completely switched gears. I'm wondering how unusual that is. So let's ask a real expert. We're gonna go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship where Laura Dunham is the Associate Dean. Laura, did it surprise you to hear that somebody with Sally's experience and pedigree in the corporate world would switch gears in her mid-40s? Not at all. In fact, I loved her story because it really demonstrates that entrepreneurship, pursuing your dreams, starting a business can happen at any point in your life and at any time in your life. You know, we tend to think that entrepreneurship is the game of young people. You know, you have to be in your 20s, no mortgage, no kids, no other obligations to start a business. And that's simply not true. Uh, the median age of founders is 42 in this country. And the fastest growing segment of founders are between the ages of 54 and 64. Well, that's really encouraging. Absolutely. There are plenty of people who, you know, had interesting careers um, in, in a corporate life and developed some tremendous skills some tremendous insights about the customers they serve and what they want and maybe don't have yet that they would like to provide. And, and so all that stuff you do while you're working is tremendous grist for the mill. 
Mm -hmm. Um, But what most people don't realize is you can then take that next step and you can take all that stuff that you know and you've learned and you can shape it into your own business. I love hearing that. And it makes perfect sense when you have the kind of expertise that Sally did might feel a little bit. And of course, she she did two things for a year and a half. I mean, she didn't just, you know, take a leap, but but it was a, a very calculated risk when she took it. She takes us along the journey. And that's what I love about this interview. She really lays a roadmap for us of of how to set up a new brand. What were the things that that jumped out to you, the lessons that we could take away? Oh, and I think these are really important lessons, Allison. I think the first thing, and this is sort of counterintuitive for most people who want to be entrepreneurs, is that you do actually have to start with yourself. Yes, of course, ultimately you need to serve customers, but how you get there is you start with yourself, what you know, who you know, what you're particularly good at, you know, better than other people. And most importantly, you mine your own experience. You say, what am I noticing out there? What isn't as good as it should be? What could be better? That's exactly where her insight came from. Mm -hmm. You know, her own experience with menopause and realizing there was not a lot of information out there. There were not a lot of great products or products that she would feel comfortable using. And so she noticed that need in the market from her own life. So I think the number one thing is for most people who would really love to be entrepreneurs, the first thing you have to do is just constantly be sort of mining your own life, noticing those things. Where could things be better? Um, But the second step is really also very important and tied to that, which is that once you have that, that insight, you think you've identified that need, it's really getting close to your customers. Who do you think your customers are? Talk to them. Mm-hmm. right? Whether that's one-on-one conversations, whether that's focus groups or surveys, find out how are they experiencing this problem? What do they care about? What would be a meaningful solution to them? Test your ideas. At some point, test some products hmm. um, with these customers, Right. which leads us to the third point, which is, and, and from that, it's all about learning and growing. You know, she said something really important. We've always tended to glorify the business plan But your business plan is never going to work out in real life. Once you get into the marketplace, there's going to be so many different things that you couldn't have anticipated. Um, You know, obviously, the last two years is a great example of how um, uncertain and disruptive uh, the external uh, environment can be. Right. But what you have to do, it's, it's all about execution. It's about as you get out into the market, learning, responding to the things that don't work continually innovating to meet the the new needs that you're identifying and the changes that you need to make in your business model or your product. Um, and I guess the fourth ingredient, which is always there for entrepreneurs, it's it's about grit mm-hmm. and, and energy and never taking no, which actually in some ways brings us back to number one, because it's all about you. And if you really care about it and you really think this is an important problem, and you're really motivated to solve it, and you're excited by it, and it's something you care about, you'll have that energy. You'll have that motivation. You got to know it's not going to be easy. Um, In Sally's case, I mean, she really has hit on a a group of of people, a, a group of consumers who have a lot of spending power and have been so shockingly overlooked. I feel like we're at a moment right now where there's a lot of attention being paid to that. But, but why do you think it's taken this long? And what do you think about this market potential? Because we needed Sally. You know, we, <laughs> needed, we needed those entrepreneurs who were willing to say, you know what? Women 
you know, and, and menopause and aging women have been treated a certain way by society for so long. And dang it, that is, you know, we could do so much better. Exactly. You know, we can be providing so much better products and services. It does take, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit who says, I refuse to accept the status quo. Right. You know, it, yeah, and it turns out she is really onto something. You know, women over 50 um, have purchasing power of something like $15 trillion in this in this country. Wow. You know, they're responsible for 27% of all consumer spending. They are a big market. Yes. And, um, you know... Uh, Time for as some a woman, cool products for these women. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, it's, it's one of the great things that a creative entrepreneur can do can do. They can, they can sort of change the way we perceive, um, you know, things from a societal standpoint, and they can provide the products and services um, that allow us to change the way we expect, in this case, older women to act and, and behave and, 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 and be viewed. So right. thank you, Sally. Exactly. It's inspiring on many levels. Thanks for putting it all into context for us, Laura. We always appreciate your insights. Well, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, Allison. And thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. If you want to know more about the show, you can go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. Thanks so much for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed by all means. 